Welcome to the Evolution Exchange Australia podcast, where we will be bringing together the best technical leaders from across the industry to discuss passions, challenges, and ideas. I'm Lewis Burks, and I connect businesses with talented contractors in the project services market, and I will be your host today. Good afternoon, and welcome to a special LinkedIn Live episode of the Evolution Exchange Australia podcast. We are bringing together the best project leaders from across Australia to discuss industry passions, challenges, and ideas. My name is Lewis Burks. I connect businesses with talented contractors in the project services market. And today I'm joined by Rebecca England, Joanne Kovac and Benjamin Ward to discuss implementing successful change at scale. Before we dive into the topic, let's work our way around the room, get some introductions. So Rebecca, do you want to kick us off today? Yeah, sure. Hi, everyone. My name is Rebecca England um, and I work with organisations predominantly in the financial services sector to lead uh, the change on enterprise-wide impacting projects. I'm currently working with QBE Insurance to lead the change on the pending financial accountability regime or or FAR, um, as it's better known as. Um, Look, I guess change management um, or what I really call change leadership Uh, Whether or not I knew it at the time has always been a consistent part of my career. It just wasn't formally labelled change in the the job description. From roles where I managed um, a production and an events company to leading teams in operations, communications, capability and strategy, leading change was the key to many successes in, um, in those roles. And why, I guess, Um, it was because it was about people and leading people and and about getting everyone on the same page and heading in the same direction. So when I started moving into more um, chunky pieces of work and and projects, I organically moved into the specialisation of um, change and and leading change teams. And um, look, with change, I love it and it um, continues to intrigue me. And I guess um, until that day that it doesn't intrigue me, I may not be doing change, but who knows? But um, yeah, really like change, um, and I, I like observing how organisations are managing and also valuing change because we really are seeing a shift, um, a shift there, which is which is great, and um, we definitely saw that over um, the COVID with uh, with lockdowns. So that's me, Lewis. No, thank you very much, and uh, I think you and I have discussed your journey into change at quite decent length in the past as well. So I appreciate uh, appreciate the synopsis and how you got into that there, Rebecca. Thank you. you. Um, Joanne, I'll pass to you. Thanks, Lewis. Um, Hi, I'm Jo. Um, I am currently a lead technical program manager looking after portfolio management at MasterCard, which is a global tech company that's undergoing change transformation and it's always looking for continuous ways um, to improve and opportunities. Um, More broadly, I have greater than, no, I don't say the number anymore, too many years experience leading uh, enterprise programs and performance in change and transformation and innovation across multiple industries and sectors both locally and globally. I enjoy enabling business from discovery to adoption to solve the wicked problems and deliver outcomes that drive value, are meaningful and provide sustainable change for the people. Through coaching and mentoring, I support our next generation of leaders and love helping them to achieve their goals and aspirations in driving successful change at scale. Thanks, Lewis. No, thank you, Joanne. And uh, last but certainly not least, Ben. 
Yes, thanks guys. Um, so hi, my name is Ben Ward. Uh, I'm a change director with Westpac uh, and I lead a, a change function in our data transformation portfolio. So we, we deliver um, big projects right across the bank that help Westpac execute on its uh, data strategy, which is a very exciting place to be. Um, I, I haven't always been in change management or in, in project work. So my, my background's a little different. Uh, I started my professional life out as a graphic designer and, and working in um, visual comms and communi written communications as well. Um, uh, loved that, had a fantastic BAU role which got put on hold uh, during a, a big organisational transformation initiative and uh, I took the opportunity to go join the project team and uh, really get hands-on and that's when I found this whole new world of change and transformation uh, delivery and that I can take what I love about design and bring it into an organisational uh, enterprise-wide context which is very very exciting. Uh, so for me what really gets me passionate is about making change simple uh, for people and it's about people at the end of the day. Um, I, th I think we can very often tend to make change more complex than it needs to be uh, and the more we can break that down make it accessible and simple uh, for people that's where we see successful change happen and that's what gets me out of bed in the morning thanks Lewis no fantastic thank you guys and uh, appreciate the background and insight there I think it uh, it gives a, a lens of the approach that each of you is likely to take to some of the questions that we're going to cover today so um, now that we've got that background, we'll, we'll dive straight into the topic, which, as I mentioned earlier, was implement, implementing successful change at scale. So each of you shared a question or a subtopic with the group that we'll go through. Um, I'll kick off a question, throw it to the person that posed that question to provide some context around why they asked that, and then we can throw it to the wider group for answers. Um, for those of you watching and listening as well, that is the opportunity for you to ask questions in real time. We'll highlight some of those questions and pick them out to be answered as well if you want to throw them into the chat. So we'll kick off with the first question. And Rebecca, this was a question you posed to the group, which was what does the what role does the culture of an organization play in successful large scale change? So do you want to provide some context on that question? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I always sort of say the answer is um, it impacts a lot. But I think um, let's let's have a little chat about what culture um, what culture is and and how it can influence um, and how it does influence uh, change. So I mean, there's there's plenty of um, definitions out there of what what culture is. It's the you know the glue that holds an organisation together. It's the behaviours, the rituals, the the routines. But I absolutely love um, Dr. Mike uh, Mike Clayton, who is a speaker and um, who runs a project management training um, company in the UK. I love how he expresses culture and um, he expresses it by saying, it's like the personality of the organisation. And, you know, that really um, means something to me. I, I get it um, when I hear that. So if we think of it, if we think of the culture in that type of context as it being a personality, you know, you, you think about your friends. There's so many different um, types of personalities and like all, all organisations, they also have um, their own personality. But um, a personality can be can be great it can be uplifting it can be positive and it can bring out the best um best in people so it can encourage you to try new things it can um, encourage you to do things better be creative speak up without fear um, and it gives you the ability to engage with it constructively and contribute to it but on the other hand um it also could be a personality that you don't particularly like. 
it can really bring the worst out of you it can make you feel not so not so good um and in maybe in in those cases you may take on those traits at some capacity or you decide you don't want to be friends with that personality anymore and find another friend or organization who aligns more to your attributes and um and values so i guess regardless um of what that personality or, or culture is like that personality has the ability to influence you in how you go about doing things in your role um, your behavior how you treat others um, and customers um, your, your peers direct reports it also can influence your decision making your level of accountability as well as your success in that organization so when you think about culture as a personality you can really start seeing the level of influence um that it has on on us as individuals but us as um as a collective and those um that culture can be can be quite deep seated so i guess you know how does culture influence change and change leadership and um you know we know that culture directly influences business success we we know that um but how does it how does it influence change so that's that's the question i'd love to pose to um to my peers here today i'll uh, i'll jump in on that yeah. one uh, if you like uh, to get us started um so i i love that analogy of of culture being a personality uh and a personality with traits because i think that's exactly right um and and extending on that a little bit uh i i read this great definition about culture in a Oprah Winfrey book I was reading the other day uh which is talking about that culture is what we teach one another and um and i and i think what that Im- implies and the same as a personality is that this is this is an evolving and a changing um aspect of life the culture that we live in and um you know if if we look at today's organizations and the way that change is implemented culture really is make or break with that if if you've got an organization that culturally um hasn't had to change a lot um over over its existence um you know or or culturally is embedded with certain ways of working and certain ways of being you know trying to bring change into that it's just never going to get um the the teeth that it needs to be successful you might you might um you might influence some outcomes within that uh but unless the culture is enabling holistic change and I'll, I'll probably actually use the word transformation there as well um as separate to change uh you know but unless you've got that culture enabling it it's it's not going to happen um and then i think reflecting on you know the pace of change that we have today the scale of change that today um you know i i think even what back in the 80s and the 90s even in the 90s and a little bit later than that change change was something that you could sort of go oh yeah there are a few changes happening this year that we need to know about in the organization and today it's sort of like well, what changes happening this week or what changes happening today there is so much change so if you don't have a culture that is uh resilient that is adaptable that is self-leading um that is resourceful uh, in the way that it empowers its individuals if you don't have that culture there's just no possible way that you can keep up with the pace of change that organizations face into today mm. i agree ben and i would add to that um two things so one of them is 
when I go and assist organisations with looking at addressing culture, one of the things that I see is that an organisation is very good at writing culture and a vision down on paper. What they really need to do is go beyond that. They need to look at, well, what are the behaviours that we want to see and how do we reward those behaviours? What are the behaviours we don't want to see and how do we ensure we're not enabling those behaviours? I find sometimes, um, you know, writing this beautiful, wonderful um, culture piece down on paper doesn't quite transfer into general day-to-day for people and how that how that operates um, from that perspective. The other um, element that I think is really important is understanding at a base level the people's needs um, and ensuring that when you look at adjusting the culture that it's not just your perceived um, view of that of that change or of that need it's actually getting in there and understanding with the people what that needs to look like what is the aspired culture that they're wanting to drive and how do you collectively build the coalition um, to support that vision and to support that change um, moving forward um, to be successful yeah i i totally agree i totally agree with um both of you and and um you know it's true if uh culture can really be the enabler of successful um, change, whether it, whether it be it's small or, or large, but it also can be, um, it can also sabotage or, or undermine um, the success of um, change. And I think, you know, I think when you, you think of it in that context, you go, ah, you know, this is actually going to be the difference between something being successful and, and, and something um something not so i think you know it it is really important um to understand culture when building um when building a plan for for change and um and the same same can be said around you know those traits traits of a culture when it comes to change so for example um if you do have you know a flexible innovative um creative culture they really do have that and Ben this is what you're talking about is having that um, the ability to adopt and support change like having that capacity to take on change at, at, at a, a bit more of a pace at times but if an organization's you know our way of doing things is rigid slow red tape everywhere well you can expect that um, in pretty much um the leadership and the change around that to be the same and um, and probably not a very user-friendly or, or customer-friendly um, experience. You know, I think the same can be said um, about a speak-up culture. Um, if the organisation's people feel safe um, to, uh, to express their op- opinions or concerns, mm-hmm. this is great. This is great for change. Like, this is the stuff that we love. We want people to complain, not complain, but to speak up, tell us what's going wrong, because that gives us the ability to uncover those issues early, rectify them quickly, and um, actually create things that work. But on the other hand, if you've got a culture that speaking up is discouraged, or there, there's a there's a consequence of saying something, and particularly if you're saying something um, negative, or could be perceived as negative, um, you you may not ever find you ne- may not ever find that what you've um, what's been created and what's been um, implemented is is really not fit for um, fit for purpose. So, I think from that we can we can see how how much uh, culture. Um, can impact change. I think the the other question is, you know, 
well, what can we do about that? How can we enable that um, culture piece to bring about successful change? That's, that's probably the other question I'd like to, to ask you both. I, I think you might want to jump in, Joanne, here, because I think I, from previous conversations with you, I'm pretty sure you, I know what you want to talk about here. <laughs> yeah, I think um, I don't I don't know if that was way too obvious there, Lewis, but um, but yes, I definitely want to jump in on that one. So um, I think for me, um, you know, when organisations look at cultural change, one of the fundamental things that they actually need to address and do well is building psychological safety. If they actually don't address building psychological safety and enabling um, the people to do things like speak up or, as Ben said, you know, have thought leadership and make decisions or, you know, take risks within boundaries and all those sorts of things, building entrepreneurship, testing and learn type mentality, um, they're not going to do that unless the organisation actually supports them with psychological safety. So for me, it's a major enabler if you can actually build into your cultural program, um, how would you actually develop those behaviours and ensure that you're enabling psychological safety for the people? And when I actually say the people, I mean all levels of the organisation. So that all the levels of the organisation can contribute, they can have a voice, um, they can be heard, they can um, not fear reprimand of speaking up. Um, and they can ensure that they're actually adding value to conversations rather than staying quiet and, and wearing the impacts of whatever is being decided. Yeah, no, I, re I really like that. Um, ben, I, obviously I can see a question that's popped up from Abby and I might pose this to you to give you a chance mm. to, to, but like when, when we're talking about these programs of change um, on, on something like that and we're talking about getting the right culture and developed you know defining what that culture looks like to get successful change within that how do you manage an employee who perhaps isn't you know bought into your change journey or bought into the culture of what you're trying to do without that affecting that wider team that's a fantastic question and um i i think it really uh, ties nicely into into Joe's um, you know comments about psychological safety um, and, and potentially into our next question um, that, that we'll discuss in a minute about you know resistance to change. But you know I I think more often than not, and I'll use the majority sort of view on this because there are edge cases where this is just you know this is not going to work for you, and we need to have a realistic discussion about what that looks like for your future in the organisation. Um, you know, with some changes, and that is okay that that happens because that is that is part of the journey of our careers and our lives. But if if we if we reflect on um, you know where where most most concerns or what is perceived misalignment between the values of the of the company um, and the, the the values of the culture of the people within the company, which sometimes can be slightly different from what's written down on paper, um, it it really has to. It has to be a conversation that starts with safety, always and always, but really getting through uh, to the to the crux of what where is the misalignment coming from, um, and very often it's it's knowledge. You know, for, for as as people, we need to know what's going on around us uh, very often to feel secure. Um, I, I don't know many people that are happy to exist. Um, you know, in a vacuum of information, um, and and more often than not. It's, it's about helping helping an individual to see the bigger picture, see outside of their own context and understand what the drivers for change 
um, might be, but also helping them with some of the details. You know, some people need a lot of details, others, um, you know, are happier with the big picture, but but really, you know, understanding what do you need to, to be okay with this change um, and with this progression and then working to close that gap. And that's a very different plan and a very different process for everyone, you know, uh, and also depending on, I guess, the level of seniority of the stakeholder, whether they are an active blocker to the change or whether it's just someone, you know, along the way. Um, but always, always starts with this is a human being. They have needs. They have feelings. They need to be safe. They need to be understood. They need to be heard. And if you can you can provide all of those things along with information, very often you can find a pathway move uh, that emerges from that conversation. Yeah, I love that. I absolutely love that response. And um, was, was there anything you guys wanted to add on that? I, I, I think um, from my perspective, making sure it is addressed. I think we we see, uh, we've all seen it in our in our working careers where we do see behaviour that, um, that everyone knows is but doesn't um, doesn't get addressed and that can be just as damaging um, as as uh, to the to the wider team than um, than not addressing it so yeah I think addressing it is crucial um, from my perspective and it, it's tough like I think with these with these it's very much an individual thing it's really understanding what are those underlying fears sometimes on rare occasions it's actually nothing to do it could not actually have anything to do with work so it's really trying to understand as what ben said is what what is what is really going on let's uncover that and work um and work through that and um yeah that's my two cents yeah, yeah. i tend to sum that up as what's the why so people generally don't like conflict um, you know, some of us maybe like it a little bit more than others, but generally speaking, we don't actually like to be in situations of conflict or situations where there's um, a push and pull. So if you can actually take the time to, first of all, like Beck was saying, address it, and like Ben was saying, understand all of the potential contributors as to why, you know, why are they resisting that or what is it that's going on in their life, to Beck's point, that is contributing or compounding to what's going on at work? Um, or maybe it's something that's going on at work and to Ben's point, um, they feel that they don't understand or they don't have the knowledge or they just need a little bit more communication. Um, different people um, run at different paces and at different streams of information. So I think it's really important to ensure that you're addressing the individual and what those individuals' needs are versus the collective. Um, so when you're looking at change programs for culture in organisations, you really need to make sure you break that down those levels. Yeah, no, absolutely brilliant. And I think, you know, Ben kind of alluded to it a minute ago, this, this question almost brings us very nicely onto to kind of the next thing we, we were gonna talk about anyway. And I can see another question that's come in, but I'll probably plug that in a little bit later because it might plug in after, after this conversation around this topic. But um, Joanne, this was the question that you posed for the group, which was, what do you think are the major fears of an individual or business and the conflicts that arise from major programs of change? So again, do you want to provide context as to, I guess, what, why that question? Yeah, absolutely. So the context around this is really aiming at targeting the, the people aspects of change. So looking at 
what are the perceived roadblocks what are the challenges that they may may face um, you know when we uh, talk about change or we hear about transformation we quite often hear things like mindset well what does that really mean you know people don't wake up and say i'm going to have a poor mindset today so you know what does that really mean what is it that we're actually expecting from uh, our people and you know sort of to the the point that we're just talking about around the why generally there is a fear and a conflict that underlies that so if i look at it from an organizational perspective you know an organization might fear no growth or facing resilience sorry yeah, facing resilience. Sorry, I thought I had that wrong for a second. Or not being able to deliver on their outcomes that they've committed to their boards, all these sorts of things. Um, they might not not um, look at things through a people lens, which is why it's so important from a change perspective that we're continually forward-facing all of their thinking and all of their design work with actually the people first. Um, from a people perspective, you know, how many times in your career um, have you heard people say, I don't want change done to me? <laughs> yeah. So they don't want something to happen over here that is then going to impact me. Um, they fear not being heard or having a voice. Um, maybe there's some conflicts with their culture, their values, their heritage. Um, and But ultimately, day to day, they don't want their job to get harder. Right. So when you think about um, the fears and the conflicts of change, the question that I pose to um, the panel is, what else have you seen? What other things that, you, um, what other guidance can you give around pain versus value? What perceptions or habits are out there? But also, what are some of the transition tips um, that we can actually sort of, um, you know, pass on and, and entrust in others to get organizations and people um, from the fear and the conflict to actually implementing successful change? I, I always take a um, when it comes to, I guess, the, the fears or those those roadblocks to change, I, I really look at it from a, a very human um, point of view because at the end of the day, an organisation is made up of, of humans and, and simply as humans, we are afraid of the unknown. Um, you know, it was it was interesting. I was I was reading a book a couple of months ago, and um, it had a great little um, sentence that said, "Uncertainty feels similar to failure in our brains." So, when when change is coming, or we've heard about something's happening, and we don't know the details around that, this this thing that we call a brain starts starts going on its own little um, journey and so that's a very uncomfortable and not a nice um, not a nice feeling to be um, sitting with when you know something's going on and so when an, and as humans when you have an uncomfortable feeling what do we want to do we want to avoid it we want to push it away and we don't just want to pretend it's it's not there and and this is what happens when it comes to change even at an organizational level because it's it's um, fear and the way our our brains are designed we 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 find peace in knowing and this is why we evolve as well like we find peace in knowing and we find comfort and security in routine as well however boring that may um, in that may be so when we when we sort of think about that, those human aspects that are coming on it at a really deep-seated foundational hu human level that's when I think we can start addressing, okay, breaking it down, and and how do we um, how do we create a little bit more security, and it and I think you know what are the top things 
um, what are the top things that people are afraid of? I think one is job security always. Even if they say it's a change, it's not. Like people, there's there's always that job security um, or changes in the job job role. Like these big big things for people. Um, they start they worry about you know if this particularly if it's technology changes is my performance ability am I actually going to be able to um, be able to perform with this um, with this new change and also the other fear is talking about we've already talked about culture but people actually like the culture the way it is sometimes and they don't want the culture the culture to change so there's a lot of um, a lot of aspects that are coming in I think subconsciously that we we don't really understand that um, is really uh, get, getting people quite worked up and sometimes they don't even know why they're worked up to begin with it's just feelings um, that uh, that are coming up another thing I read which I thought was quite interesting um, in a study, um, I think it was from ProSci actually, is the longer a person has been with an organisation, um, generally they will display um, fear of change more often in comparison to new, um, new employees. So that's another, um, another um, angle to look at it as well. But if we sort of look at, you know, what are those things that we can break down and, and help? I, I, you know, the thing is, and you've, you've um, talked about it, Joe, is understanding the why the why and the facts and making sure that they can stay consistent. Um, I think breaking breaking things down into smaller consumable pieces rather than one big block because it, it, it takes people process differently. So I think if we break it down, uh, make it a little bit more consumable, um, that, that can sit a little bit um, better. The other thing that's really, really important is the role of the leader um, when it comes to the fear of change. Um, is lead, leaders really understanding what that change is, so they can be they can be able to talk about the why, the facts, what's going on, but also um, role modelling that embracing of the change as well, but showing vulnerability. So it, it's like, it's actually okay to feel a little bit uncertain of what this may mean, but I think the more that we see leaders being human, um, being vulnerable, I think you don't feel so alone as a, as a person, but that has to be managed very carefully because that can also, that can also go on its own journey as well. So leaders really need to be able to manage that. I think having a very structured approach to the way that the change is going to happen and communicate how it's going to happen, that also, okay, I know it's coming, I know what to expect. And we all, we've heard it before, communication, 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 communication. <laughs> can never have enough communication. So, yeah, there's plenty of things that we can do, but we are human at the end of the day and we, we, we do have fears and we just have to work with those. Yeah, and look, I would agree with so much of what you said there, even from a recruitment lens. You talk about kind of people being uncertain about what a change means for them and kind of they make that decision to move before they even necessarily kind of fully scope out what the answer to that is. I mean, probably what some of the most common conversations we would have as a business with you know, whether it's someone who's just left the role, someone who's looking to leave a role is that, oh, this is about to change and I'm not sure what it means for me or I didn't enjoy this change or I don't like the direction the business is going or something like that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's a very real fear for the individuals. Mm. Um, 
Ben, I might kind of slightly, I might ask you on the second part of this, because I know that the question mm -hmm. was really around what, are the, what is the fear for businesses and individuals? And Rebecca, you've just talked a little bit about, you know, understanding what the journey means. And part of that would, would allude to kind of Haley's question. How do you get all the execs to agree on what factors most influence the transformation, the transformation initiative? And within that, I guess, essentially, you know, that's giving the people the clarity they want when we talk about change, if everybody's on the same page about what it looks like. Um, so, so how would you answer that question from Hayley? Yeah, look, that's such a great question, Hayley. And, uh, and I, I think it's really important to acknowledge that, um, I mean, as, you, as you've said in, in your question, uh, when, when you posted, you know, we've got some of the soft issues of cultural motivation and leadership, but those hard factors are actually what people um, care about actively and, and express, you know, in, in the moment. And um, look, what, what I've described that is, is it's really around alignment um, and around shared understanding of, you know, all the different levers that get pulled during any kind of transformation exercise, right? So um, you, when, it, when it comes to aligning executives, it's, it's, it, it depends on the context greatly, of course, but what, what I talk about there is that they need to understand very clearly um, the, the impact that, that, you know, variables will have um, on, on the success of the change. And very often, even the timing of those variables will make a massive difference. Um, you know, to, to, to what they're trying to achieve there. But it's it's about painting them and equipping them with the full picture. Um, I, I wrote down some notes on this question earlier, uh, and it, it was, um, I, I guess, some thoughts about extending where we, we talk about having a strong vision statement and strong leadership, but there is so often in change initiatives a gap between that vision statement, the culture, and the people on the ground receiving the change and what it actually looks like and the specific tangible measurable outcomes that will be delivered and achieved desired or otherwise as a result of implementing change and i th i think the more senior you go in an organization you can tend to um not deliberately gloss over it but some of those details become part of the minutiae so much that you just can't hold all of that in your head and uh, i find myself um you know very very often when i'm working with senior leaders really surfacing that like no let's let's look at the nitty-gritty details of what this actually means and what we're wanting to achieve and be really clear on that because having clarity on those outcomes will always crystallize your priorities in terms of what needs to happen next how long do we need to spend on this activity how much money do we need to give it how many people is it a greater priority than this other initiative all of that can be crystallized well when you have concise clear conversations around around outcomes I hope that answers the question for you, Hayley. And I'm just conscious that I, I kind of tweaked the question effectively there before Ben answered. <laughs> so was there anything, was it Rebecca, Joe? was there anything you wanted to add in response to that as well? Yeah, so um, just one thing on that um, with what Ben was answering. I think um, all of that is absolutely uh, fundamental, but when we look at how do we align holistically across an organisation, um, you cannot gain alignment unless you've got contribution. Yeah. So, so you really need to make sure that change is not just top down or bottom up. You need to work out a way to have that join in the middle. And then when you break that down, you get more of an understanding at a leadership level over the general day to day 
that the um, people are experiencing, not just from a culture and a soft perspective, but from a hard perspective with their tasks, their actions, how long things are going to take, um, how how broad the change is going to be to reach your, your desired goals. You know, it may be something that at a leadership level you think will happen in weeks, but in reality it's going to take years because of our starting point. So it's really, you've really got to look at change holistically um, and gain that alignment and gain that um, conversation um, to to frame up both the soft and the hard with how you would approach looking at um, organisational, let's call it buy-in for change um, and also how you actually shift culture um, within. So the other thing that I do want to just wrap up on on the fears and conflicts of change um, and it sort of draws on everybody's um, comments is really around looking at things like, you know, how do you humanise the change? How do you go to the level of individualisation where where required? Um, how do you build awareness at all levels? So don't just assume that leadership know how to make change happen. They don't. I think it was Beck earlier said, you know, we, we coach leaders. Right, we coach leaders, we coach middle management, we coach teams, um, we coach everybody. All right, it goes both ways. The the coaching that we do may be slightly different based off what their needs are, but again, it's you know it's it's a holistic view of the world. Um, how do you build knowledge across an organisation? So not just knowledge of the change that's coming, but actually what do I as an individual need to do that's different tomorrow to what it is today? How do I build that knowledge, which then removes some of the fear and the unknown around, you know, where we're headed or, or where we're going to? Um, um, Beck, you said earlier about um, structure. Um, I agree with that, but I'd also add and flexibility. Mm. So certain things you would build in place around structure. So you might see organisations building, you know, rituals and putting those or ceremonies in place, depending on the methodologies that you're using. Um, and they would have structure around when's reporting required and all those sorts of things. But then you also need to flex. So, you know, you don't want to be in a, end up in a situation where it's square peg round hole because you'll get more resistance. So be... Um, be open to flexing where you need to flex but be clear with the people what you cannot flex on so things that are absolutely mandatory that you cannot flex on but where you can flex and let them contribute to that um, interesting you brought up the way that the human brain works um, Rebecca and you know the amygdala gets a really bad rap half the time but you know, if we didn't have that we wouldn't learn and grow either <laughs> That's so um, you know I think it's really important to acknowledge that it is a natural um, disposition for an individual to have a flight or fight mode um, but really digging underneath that to say well what is the why and then how do I help them move forward from that why um, I love the shared understanding Ben um, absolutely and really holistically um, this really pulls back together with one fundamental thing which talks to psychological safety and that's trust if you don't have trust in an organization from leadership to the um, all the way through to the people then cultural change is very difficult Right, it, it is actually really, really hard. Now, there is a quote that I heard along the way. Um, I have tried to find the source, it's classed as unknown, and there is a slight um, a slight association with Stephen Covey's book, The Speed of Trust. Um, but the, the quote is actually, change happens at the speed of trust. 
totally that, agree with that. That so really true. resonated with me the first time I heard it. So it doesn't matter how many mechanical things you put in place, how many processes you change, how many interviews you have with the people or how many um, cultural behaviours you're trying to make, change happens at the speed of trust. If you don't focus on the underlying things to build trust in your organisation, you, you know, when we spoke about the volume or pace of trust and, you know, Ben, you're right, there's a lot of contributors to that. But really, if we don't have trust, change doesn't happen. Yeah, I, I, and actually, do you know what? I think that's a really good time to, to maybe bring in Nelson's question as well, because I'm very conscious, Ben, that the question that you've posed probably moves a little bit away from the culture and the behavioural bits mm, that we've put mm, and, and goes mm. to a very specific place around, <laughs> around change, which we'll definitely get to. But now, how do you measure how well the culture of the company is going when it comes to think challenges like you've just talked about, Joe? You, know, you said changing culture can be really hard. So how do you go about fixing issues within that whilst you're trying to go through a program of work or a program of change? Yeah, so um, there's a number of things that we've, I've done over the years. Um, one that comes to mind in, in this space, though, is um, at a previous organisation, we looked at the behaviours that we wanted to see and we broke that down day to day and what would that mean to somebody in their role, even down to the language that they're using, right? So um, instead of saying um, something like... Um, uh, I'm on the spot now, I can't think. Um, even even saying something like, um, oh, I've got 50,000 things to do today, right? If you start to hear in the culture and in the general day-to-day -day people saying, you know what, there's a lot to do today, but I'm going to focus on these two things, or I've asked for help, or, you know, they're putting their hand up, you start to see some of the behaviours that you're um, your, trying to influence into the organisation start to be played back to you. Um, now, that is a slower burn, um, so it's not something that you're going to get a, an instant um, reaction to or an instant um, measure against. Um, but also looking at things like any time you introduce change, there is a dip in performance. That is fact, right? Organisations need to acknowledge that there's going to be a dip in performance and then as we actually look at um, the bell curve of people coming through that change, you start to see the groups of people that are sitting at different levels of that change, levels of acceptance of that change. And you can start to apply some measures if you want to look at data and numbers, you can start to apply some measures from that perspective. I like to actually go and meet with the people, um, have conversations, see how they're feeling. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a, it's a great way to get a litmus test on general day-to-day -day and how they're feeling with the change, how the organisation is transitioning um, with that change. And, you know, everybody is allowed to have a bad day or two or ten. That's all right. But generally speaking, if you're checking in um, with the teams and with the people at all levels, you'll actually start to feel the pull the pull of that change um, and the the language will change to a more positive nature around the direction that they're heading or what is changing. They'll also start to be more open with you around the challenges that they face with that change, which then is their way of saying, can you help me or can you support me and how do we go about this? Um, initially, most people have a wall up. Um, so when they start to actually show that vulnerability or they start to show um, in the language that they're shifting or changing, you get some reads in that space as well. Yeah, no, I love the piece you said there about, you know, 
it's the behaviors you want to see and the behaviors you expect from your leaders. And I think this is where you guys and obviously, you know, wider than just this conversation, leaders in general within an organization, it is so important that the behaviors you want to see in your teams and, um, you know, the way you want people to carry themselves is how you carry yourself and you're very visible. Um, you know, it, it's very easy, I think, as a leader to be, as you said, caught up with, oh, I've got to do all this and all these things are so important. But, you know, you just alienate people if, the things that you've got to do are more important than the things they've got to do and you don't provide the support and the help and you're not communicating in the way that you would like others to so um no, that, hopefully that's a sorry if i could just add one thing to that being authentic Please. being authentic right i i remember earlier in my career um there was the big phase of open door policy you know and leaders would leave their door to their office open but you get to the door and you weren't allowed in um so you know you've got to be authentic if you really want this cultural shift and this cultural change you have to um accept it and buy into it yourself and then be authentic in that role modeling yeah i mean um, yeah i mean there's a there's an episode on, on project delivery that i'm recording uh in in mid-july for this series actually and one of the people on there he's really that's kind of his big point he's like if you if you're if you're not authentic then when you have a bad day, it's that slips so far from the standard you set. <laughs> and every time you're not feeling 100%, that slips, and people, which means people only see what you want them to see 70% of the time. Whereas if you're authentic, people see what you want them to see 90, 95% of the time. Like you said, everybody still has a bad day, but you, you limit the amount of bad days because the difference between what you bring to work normally and what you end up bringing to work on a bad day is different. So, um, But yeah, Nelson, hopefully that answers the question for you. Um, but uh, yeah, Ben, your question. So your question was, how can the adoption of human-centered design and other design-related disciplines help change help change professionals deliver change more effectively and efficiently? So do you want to provide the context on that? Absolutely. And uh, it is a very specific question, especially <laughs> in the context of the conversation we've had to date. So I'll, I'll, I'll broaden the question out for you guys slightly, if you like, to be um, more how do you see the, the, the toolkit that is available to us as change leaders um, evolving and changing? You know, I've, I've picked human-centered design and other design practices because um, that, that has seen a huge emergence uh, and application in broader than just design delivery. But I, I guess the, the background and the context for the question really comes back to where we started the conversation today, which was, you know, about that, that pace of change um, and the scale of change and that what worked you know five years ago does not work anymore uh, as, as change practitioners there is just not the time there is not the resourcing there's not the bandwidth you know I've, I've seen um, change practices go from being you know massive 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 teams delivering change initiatives to almost one man band you know that that's the sort of expectation and so as as a practitioner it means that you really have to get creative around how you deliver change what the tools are that you that you pick up from your toolkit um what I, what I love about human-centered design is that it, I, I see it as a very natural evolution um of where change management came from um, and where it's going. You know, I, I see, um, I, I've done a lot of research into sort of the convergence between, you know, what you call change management, um, you know, practice like service design and human-centered design and those sorts of things to, to actually help us come up with terms like change design. You can 
applied that thinking and design a change rather than just apply a framework. Um, so I guess that's my question. How do you see that evolving? What works for you? What doesn't work for you? Um, you know, what are some ideas that you might like to share with people on the call? Yeah, I, um, it's a, it is a, a very interesting question. I, I, when it comes to human-centered design, it just really complements um, how we do um, change because it is all designed around the human, which if you think of what change management is, that is helping support the humans or us people um, support that change through. So it really, it really complements, I guess, and I don't think there'd be any change practitioner out there that would sort of go, oh, I don't like, I don't like human-centered design. Um, we, I think this is, this is something I think we've been screaming out for, for um, a long time because the solutions are around the people that are going to be using it and um, but it's also it, it helps when when we're using the people that are going to be using whether it's a product whether it's using um, a piece of technology you've already got that buy-in you've already got that in, engagement so it really can re, um, reduce that uh, resistance to change when you're starting to bring bring the people that it's impacting in early and and being part of it um, and they can be the the advocates of of the change they're involved in that um, whole change process so you know they're, they're giving us the feedback they're giving us the insights and you can create those change interventions as you as as we're building so if you think about pace of change we're working a lot quicker um, to get to get to that um, and you can really you really have that ability to be specific and tailored in those in those change interventions um, what I like about also human-centered design is it's it's done in iteration as well. So, um, and and that also means that the change um, can is also or can be iterative as well. And and in my experience, I find change is a little bit more sustainable when you do. Um, deliver change more iteratively you're building on from what you've already built so it's rather than hitting at that big bang approach and you're going oh my gosh it's too much you're really doing that again those consumable bite-sized um, iterative so I really I actually like the whole approach of um, human-centered design because this is how we sort of learn this is how we um, can change our habits so if you think about that that is um, sustainable change so it's really it just works with everything that we um, are working um, are working towards um, the other thing about what I like about human-centered design it, it helps with that and I keep going back to culture but it really helps with creating a culture of continuous improvement um, innovation and again you can put change in you can put change down into the pipeline um, a lot easier and a lot quicker. So I'm a big fan of um, human-centered design. It complements what we are um, what we are doing. I love it. Yeah, I definitely agree. And um, I think it's really nice to see 
um, some focus in this area around yeah. change design, um, as you put it, Ben, and sort of um, utilising the frameworks and our methodologies as part of our foundation. But actually, how do we then take all of those things in our toolkit and apply that in a designed way to actually be successful with change? I was having a conversation um, over coffee with an old colleague of mine um, the other day, and it was it was more in the project space, but I think it applies here. Now, we've both got way too many years experience um, behind, under our belts, but um, she was sort of saying that she's working with someone at the moment who is quite junior in their role. And she was sitting down with them the other day and they were following step one, step two, step three, step four. Now we all learn that way. We all start that way when we're learning the foundations. But what she actually challenged them to think about was why are you doing step one to three if you already know the answers? There's no point in actually rolling through those. So from a learning perspective, I think that at, at a junior point in your career, you probably need to live and breathe some of those things. But what she is able to coach and to teach um, the um, um, future leaders that she's working with is actually how do you use the fundamentals in that foundation but don't necessarily have to follow verbatim step one, step two, step three and so on. Now the reason I'm saying that is because I get really excited about design and about human-centered design and I love the the ability to overlay that with my toolkit. Um, you know, when we talk about things like divergent thinking and convergent thinking um, in teams, you know, we've already spoken about um, iterations. We've already spoken about humanising the change. You know, um, you know, human-centred design says it in the name, but, you know, there's a lot of design aspects and design methodologies that still um, point to humanising um, aspect of what you're trying to do, whether it's, you know, UI, UX um, and so on. Um, it's collaborative. It's putting people in a room that all contribute, all go through a process, right? So there's some fundamentals that are hardwired in that process, but they're all contributing. They're all adding value to the conversation and they're all collectively um, evaluating and design and defining what moves forward and what doesn't. Um, it's value-focused delivery. You know, if I think about change, there is so many things that could occur in change for an organisation. What we need to be doing is using things like design to help us with how do we how do we gain the best value and meaningful change for our people for the least amount of effort, time and cost for the organisation because that's actually what's going to deliver us a successful outcome. And really when we look at um, doing that, we start to deliver on the right things and spend a lot less time on the wrong things that are not going to drive the right um, change. Um, the other thing, and maybe it's the, the science geek in me, is um, going through a design process actually, actually validates the hypotheses and it proves or disproves them very quickly. Right. So instead of spending a period of time trying to validate something very rapidly, you can actually assess whether or not that has legs and can and should continue or whether it should stop. Um, so for me, um, Ben, you know, I can talk for hours um, about it, but definitely get very excited about overlaying design um, with things like change and how do we actually implement um, that at scale in organisations. Yeah, great answer. And and I think just to round that out, um, 
you know, uh, it's exactly right, right? You can you can test iteratively, you can move quickly, you can know what's working, you can know what's not what's not working. Um, there, there's there's one area that I'm particularly passionate about in, in I guess the application of design thinking within organizational change, um, and that is the power of the experience. And this kind of uh, ties back to the culture piece that we've been talking about earlier on this call that if if i reflect on the most um, significant transformational moments of my life whether it be professional personal you know um there's always been a transformational experience that accomplishes that, that sorry that accompanies that that goes along with it um and and I, and I think there's there's a fascinating space for us to explore in the power of creating experiences that lead to transformational outcomes for people. Um, you know, very often we do sort of think about, you know, yes, I need to send a comms, I need to send, you know, I need to issue training or uh, have some briefing sessions or whatever that may be. But paying attention to how you design all of that and more end to end to create an experience that that meet somebody where they're at that helps them feel heard um you know they feel safe that, that builds trust there are all of these things that you can do in designing these experiences that you add them all up and you have transformation yeah absolutely and hearing you say that reminded me of a Maya Angelou quote they won't remember what you said but they will certainly remember how you made them feel yes that's it that's it exactly exactly yeah, perfect. And look, we've just had a, a comment pop up from one of our um, one of our viewers as well. It just kind of adds on to what you guys have said there. It just says, human-centered design and service design and journey mapping also helps with rolling out to groups that are diverse. So neurodiverse, people experience DFE, different learning styles. And she's just expressing that she loves the detailed journey map and it flows nicely into capturing change impacts as well. So, um, you know, I think that yeah. there's, there's so much to take in there. And I think you're completely right. You know, experiences often accompany the biggest moments in our lives but also people pay for it like in their personal lives people pay for experiences mm-hmm. um you know more than they pay for things quite often i think if you it, particularly if you think about high-end dining is a great example um you know yeah. if you go to a fine restaurant you, yeah the food's gonna be good but you quite often are paying the premium for the experience rather than the food um i just like talking about food to be perfectly honest guys <laughs> <laughs> Um, probably just one final question um, that came in from Snehal um, about 10 minutes ago as well. And this probably comes because each of you has taken a very different journey into change and into the roles you're in now to be leaders within a change environment. Um, you know, so, so to her question, how can you be successful in that career change and how did you identify the areas that you needed to grow or develop in order to do that? I can jump in on that yeah. one if you like. Yeah. Um, yeah. Look, it's it's such a great question, and um, you know, it's it's a different thing for for everyone. But if, if I speak from my own personal experience, I think it's um, for me there was a shift that had to occur, right? So whilst I was very excited about the work um, of getting into into project delivery and, and change management and and expanding on on this tool set and skill set that I had built that, you know, seemingly was disconnected at the time, but uh, not so much nowadays. Um, I, I, I think it's that jumping into the unknown and sometimes um, it can even be your own fear of your own potential, I think, can get in the way with those things. And uh, so my approach within that uh, is very much about, you know, identifying what are my drivers for wanting 
to change? What's the reason that I'm even thinking about this in the first place? Because very often that will crystallize for me and has crystallized for me. Um, you know, the, the reason that I might want to or might not want to or, or think about the timing. Um, and the the other other part of that is about seeking counsel from people you trust. You know, we um, most of us have a strong network of, of community professionals, um, you know, and even even people in our own personal lives that can see blind spots that we're not aware of, uh, that know us well, and and you know, it's just coaching. You know, they don't need to have the answers for you, but. Um, having the conversations with those people in a trusted safe space very often helps you identify what might be holding you back, what some um, correct or incorrect assumptions might be, um, you know, the, 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 the secret drivers and psychological drivers that you have that you're not even aware of um, at the time. And I think, you know, using people as mirrors to help shine light on that for yourself can so often crystallize for you what is the right thing to move. Um, and then with that, acknowledging that you know these are not forever changes right like we've just been talking about that sort of human centered sort of design iterative change and implementation uh you don't need to make massive sweeping changes in your career to start find out what's and moving into something that doesn't fit you well that you wouldn't have known that until you moved in is not a failure it's just a learned experience that you can use to, to better guide yourself forwards so i think embracing the unknown, embracing, um, you know, the, as, as much of an informed view as you can and then not being afraid of your own uh, adaptability and resilience should things not be exactly as you expected. That, that's always a pathway forward. Yeah, I, I, I agree with I agree with you, Ben. I, I sort of think, um, I, I, I mean, if I sort of think about, you know, 10, 15 years ago, thinking about would I be doing this today I, I would never have thought that this is what I would be doing today but um, it was only when I was really starting this is probably about five maybe five six years ago I, I sort of got to that point in my career sort of going I'm I'm ready for something else and I really had to sit down with myself to sort of go well, what is it and, and this is a really this is a hard thing to do so you may not it may not happen when you sit down for the first time but I had to have some really good conversations with myself to go what is it that I get enjoyment um, on a day-to-day -day level like it's really trying to understand we hear purpose a lot and, and maybe purpose isn't always um, what it's about but it's what what actually gets you excited and and that took me a long time um, to really figure out the aspects of what I was doing that um, that got me excited. And then once when I started identifying those, then I opportunities would come my way. I go, oh, they match. okay. and I, and and to your point, Ben, I sometimes I just would leap, I which was not not really me. I'm quite um, cautious. I, you know, but I just sort of thought I haven't got anything to lose. And I really became a little bit more carefree, <laughs> um, carefree with my decision making when it came to career, um, career change. And I just let it to a degree, I just let the universe just um, shed me and, and here I am now. Mm. And I would never, this was not, it had been on my mind, but it was not something I um, had you know year one we're going to do this year two so i think it's have a bit of faith 
Um, have a bit of faith in yourself. Have, have faith in your ability as well. Be clear. Be really clear at what you're good at, what you're passionate about, um, not necessarily what's going to get you the big money. Like make sure what um, make sure that you are going to be happy with what you um, what you do, and um, and be open to opportunity and and say yes. Mm. I think what I'd add to that is, um, you know, I I probably have a combination of both of you in my career path. Um, some of it I fell into, some of it I sought out um, a little bit more prescriptively, um, and some of it was just based on a pure love of what woke me up every morning and got me energised. Um, so, you know, really, if I think back, um, you know, what made it different from me was that I was open to learn. So it didn't matter what was thrown my way, whether it was part of my job description or not, um, I put my hand up and I volunteered myself or um, was seconded onto um, short-term projects within organisations or got exposure to different groups, different um, leaders, different ways of thinking, different ways of um, working, all those sorts of things. you know, and if I wasn't open to learning, I'd find, um, I think I'd find that difficult to, um, you know, be able to do that. Um, I definitely said yes, and I lent into the change. So, you know, Beck, you talk about jumping and Ben, you talk about, you know, having the confidence to, you know, sometimes just take that leap, even though, um, you know, there's a fear there or, or there's unknowns and it's a bit scary. Um, I got involved in organisations that were of interest in my career path and I volunteered with them and I got to mingle with like-minded people and people that were on similar career paths which then um, helped me. I looked for internal mentors and external mentors to the companies that I was in Um, and there are a lot of people out there that pay Um, sorry, that are paid services for mentors, but there's a lot that actually give up their time for free as well. So, you know, get involved in community groups or volunteer groups um, involved within your profession. Um, Ben, you mentioned um, seeking counsel. You know, one of the things that I did was I asked. I'd have a coffee chat with managers or with people that I worked with, peers um, or other leaders that weren't direct leaders of mine and I'd ask and I was always seeking um, feedback Um, and then this one's for you uh, this one's for you Lewis Um, it got to a point in my career where (laughs) I became very prescriptive so I would actually go and search for jobs online that were being advertised and I would look at what skills or capabilities were being looked for in those jobs that Mm. I didn't feel that I had and then I sought whether it was um, coaching and mentoring or um, professional education and so forth to actually help drive in that space or even just opportunities where I'd get exposure to those things so that I could again be open to learning and continue to learn in that space but you know I, I went and I found my what I thought at the time was my dream role. Um, you know, and what are they looking for? You know, what's the the top three things that they're asking for? Because there's always a list, right? And uh, there's a bit of a theory that it's a sliding scale as you go down the list. But um, <laughs> depending depending on the hiring company or the hiring um, manager as to how important each of those things on the list are. But if you had a look at the top three to five things that are listed there, you would get a feel for what are they looking for in that role? And then you can benchmark yourself against that. But you do have to be vulnerable. You do have to be authentic and honest with yourself. Um, you know, there's times in my career where I thought I was great at something. And then when I went and asked people, I found out I was not so great at something. 
Um, and, you know, it's all about learning and um, embracing that feedback and not not being defensive to that feedback, mm. right? And that's really difficult as a human being not to hear something that maybe isn't quite what your perception of yourself was and respond in a positive way or find an action that you can carry forward um, that is uh, positive. But you really need to be open to that feedback and not just listen to it but hear it because that's what's actually going to lead your growth and what is going to help you be open to to future opportunities. Um, But, you know, ultimately um, be open, put your hand up, ask, say yes and lean into the fear and enjoy the ride. Yeah, I absolutely love that. And I like the point I like the point about you kind of going and looking for the skills employers wanted and going and finding a way to develop those skills. I think you can sit around and wait for the perfect job for you or you can go and upskill yourself so that you can get the job that you want. Um, and there's two very different ways about that. Um, well, look, guys, I'm, I'm going to wrap that there. But look, I would love to say thank you to all of you for your thoughts, your answers, everything today. Um, really appreciate the conversation, the content of it. It's been absolutely brilliant to, to hear what you guys have to say on this topic. Also, I'd like to say thank you to our viewers. Thank you for those of you that proposed questions as well. Uh, I should probably apologise to everyone that was online bang on two o'clock and we had some technical issues, so we were slightly late. Um, we will make a recorded copy of this available um, through the usual channels as well, so that you can listen to it at a later date if you missed anything as a result of that. But. Once again, our guests today on today's podcast are Rebecca England from QBE, Joanne Kovac from Mastercard and Benjamin Ward from Westpac. So thank you very much for your time, guys. Um, and last but not least, if you're hiring for new project roles, looking for a new role yourself, uh, feel free to get in touch with us here at Evolution. Similarly, if you if you or anyone you know would like to be featured on a future podcast or a LinkedIn Live episode, also please feel free to drop me a message. You can find me on LinkedIn. My name is Lewis Burks. Uh, so easy to find Uh, thanks again to all our guests thank you for listening and viewing and we hope you can join us next time on the exchange